Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Today on the Gains Podcast, we're going to hit a trio of topics. Stuff that we've talked about and covered for a while now. Three quick conversations. We have the Fed in play this week, and that's always a market mover. We'll check back in on Bitcoin. Our December 7th, 2022 million dollar Bitcoin forecast is fully intact if you haven't heard that, go back and check that out. And then we'll check back in on the Dow theory and see what's got to happen for things to turn bullish. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Gaines. As mentioned, we have a trio of topics we're going to talk about today to kick things off. The Fed is in play always a market mover. Let's bring on David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors and author of the book, Understanding Central Banking. David, always great to have you on the GAINS podcast. Nice to be with you. The Fed is in play this week. They continue to follow through with what they said they were going to do. You've called it all along, so I'll have you pick up there. Yeah, the only complication the Fed has in this world of sticky and still high inflation, although it's coming down, it's still high and sticky, um, is the fact that we've had a sort of at least a mini banking crisis. I, I wouldn't call it anything like we saw back in 2008, but uh, we have seen banks, First Republic being the latest, uh, fall by the wayside and have to be uh, purchased by another bank or saved by the government. And after the uh, banking crisis began, the Fed did consider at the previous FOMC meeting pausing because of the banking crisis, but it, but it decided not to pause. And of course, we had in the previous uh, action by the Fed a uh, quarter point hike. Now we still have a continuation of that banking crisis, so the Fed has to take that into account. Uh, But I think all things considered, the Fed still sees inflation too high and feels there's additional work to be done. And so we will get another quarter point rate hike at the May meeting. Hearing a lot of investors as of late, I thought the Fed has our back. They're supposed to step in when things get rocky. You mentioned the banking crisis, but they are sticking to what they were set out to do. A lot of people wonder, 
why? And I, I think the, the key thing here, David, is explain how devastating it could be if the Fed hadn't followed this through and then inflation then goes on unchecked. Well, that's the worst possible outcome going all the way back to Paul Booker, the father of aggressive anti-inflation action. Um, if the Fed fails in its attempts to bring inflation under control, we have a disaster on our hands. We have the likelihood of a recession co- combined with inflation. Uh, th- that could not be a worse outcome. So um, it's in the Fed's hands, and it's difficult to decide how far rates have to go up to finally bring inflation down to where the Fed wants it. But uh, at the moment, FOMC communications by Fed officials are that they're going to stay at the job until the job is done. Do you think this latest increase, uh, will this finally get the job done or is it a wait and see? We're getting near the end, and I think we will have a prolonged period of the Fed just holding where it is. I think the market's bet that the Fed will cut rates is probably wrong. The Fed's going to follow this through. Once they're done, and it seems like we're getting kind of close, you made that great point. They got to then hold this for a while and explain that. What the Fed plans to do is find that magic rate level somewhere above five in terms of their target, between five and six percent perhaps, and just stay there until inflation continues to come down in a way the Fed wants to see it come down. And that would include core services, less housing, which the Fed has been watching so closely. I think the Fed's prepared just to keep rates at that level much longer than the market thinks they We'll keep them there. You know, as we wrap up our Fed convo today, what did you want to get across to the gains listener? Well, I want to get across the idea that there's been this fundamental disagreement between what we would call FOMC communications by the Fed officials, which says we're going to keep at it till the job is done in terms of bringing inflation down and keeping it down, and the market, which keeps betting that we're going to get a uh, a last rate hike at this May meeting, and then sometime in the second half of the year, see lower rates. I just think that's too much optimism, given the given the likelihood of stagflation. Stagflation, very scary word. Explain that, David, real quick, and and how that's not a scenario you want to be in at all. Exactly, inflation stays too high, even though it's coming down some, and the economy cools off to something very near a recession falls below its growth path and stays there. Um, One of the things I think the market has missed in all this is the Fed is not interested in, in how the economy is going to behave, except for the fact that they do expect the hot labor market to cool off and, and for us to see at least some increase in the unemployment rate as a part of this anti-inflation process. Uh, but I think the Fed is willing to accept a mild recession uh, if it means that uh, the Fed will keep at it till the job is done and bringing inflation down. That's David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors out of Denver, Colorado, and author of the book Understanding Central Banking.
Okay, let's shift our attention now to Bitcoin. It's been a while since we've talked crypto. We did our million-dollar Bitcoin forecast on December 7th of last year, 2022. And at the time of the taping of that GAINS podcast, Bitcoin was just under $17,000 a token. Five months have passed. And as of the taping of this GAINS podcast, Bitcoin is just under 29000 a token. So we're bringing on the guests who joined us in making that bold prediction. Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management in Glenview. Check out the website, SenecalCapital.com. That's C-E-N-A-C-L-E Capital.com. Bill, great to have you on the GAINS podcast. And it's fair to say our Bitcoin forecast is fully intact. And I want you to start there. Well, year-to-date, Bitcoin is up 69.83%. The S&P 500 is up 8.5%. And the KRE, the S&P Spider Regional Bank ETF, is down 29.42%. So it's really interesting, Andy, that even though Bitcoin has done really well and performed as a non-correlated asset class in 2023, it's interesting that the banking index is off 51% from its high just about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And Bitcoin, yes, it's still off its high. I'm not going to lie to you. But looking at the stock-to-flow ratio, looking at what's happening to our banking system, looking what's happening to the potential uh, debt ceiling and currency devaluations going on globally, you still have to say that Bitcoin is an extreme uh, asset class, but it still has promise. It still has huge potential especially now that we are less than one year away from the Bitcoin happening, which means that the reward system on a daily basis gets cut by 50%. This usually adds fuel to the fire to the upside of Bitcoin. So That's key, Bill. A lot of people aren't, aren't familiar with that. Explain that. Sure. So every four years, the supply of the reward that happens every 10 minutes gets cut in half. First, it was 50 Bitcoin were released to the system every 10 minutes or so, then 25, then 12 and a half. Now it's six and a quarter. In less than a year, the reward will only be 3.125 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. This is when you're mining. This is what Bill's talking about here is mining and, uh, you know, uh, the reward you get for for mining the crypto, solving the algorithm. Uh, Go ahead. Continue, Bill. Right. So like any commodity, right, the Bitcoin is considered a commodity by the CFTC, the uh, Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And so when you look at Bitcoin like a commodity, if you compare Bitcoin to gold or silver, copper, nickel, aluminum, corn, wheat, soybeans, like everything, there is a supply and demand equation. Is supply big? Is the you know demand from new farmers coming out? Do we have a carryover because it was a great crop? Do we have less carryover because it's been a drought? Bitcoin only has half of that. The supply continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller of a limited digital asset. And if demand stays the same or increases, then we can expect to see higher prices in Bitcoin. And so what just happened is the 18 months before the supply gets cut in half on a daily basis, Usually is when we get the greatest rallies in Bitcoin, and it's happening right now. Uh, it happened at the end of April, where we we crossed the the um, 
the one year mark. So we, we have less than a year until the daily rewards will be released into the system of the economy of Bitcoin get cut in half. So it's really an exciting time. We're really marching down. I think we're going to see, you know, 150 to 200,000 plus price in Bitcoin this year. And of course, by 2025, uh, we will probably see $1 million plus Bitcoin if the forecast of the model is correct. And Bill, real quick, just explain where we've been and the path that you see us most likely going. Andy, uh, we, we have to be honest with ourselves. And that is, you know, Bitcoin, you know, did it really fulfill its role as digital gold? And in many ways it does because we saw Bitcoin go from 4000 to 64000 when we had the pandemic expansion, when the Federal Reserve and the government just turned on the spigots with cash, when the economy began to contract, when interest rates were railing, Bitcoin sold off, as to be expected, just like gold did. So I think the next time the government turns the spigot on, and I think we're going to be very, very close to that as we speak. I mean, we got the banking system in, uh, in, in upheaval. We have the Federal Reserve probably getting ready to stop raising interest rates. We'll see what happens tomorrow. But once the spigot, the when the money mach- the money printer go burr, as we like to say, once Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve begins monetizing some of this debt and, and stepping on the gas pedal again, I think we're going to see Bitcoin perform as it's expected as a, a, a protection and purchasing power, as a as being sensitive to uh, inflation, and we're going to see the precious metals, and especially Bitcoin, I think do really well in the next four years. It's just the way this economic cycle works, and I think we're almost there. As we wrap up our Bitcoin conversation here, Bill, what what do you want the uh, gains listener to take away at this point? I would just say you've got to educate yourself on this cryptocurrency and then Bitcoin and everything that you know, Andy, you have been talking about for over a year. This is a parallel system going into place. This is a real thing. This is not 2009. It's not 2010 where it's just, you know, uh, magic Internet money. We have S&P 500 companies. We have Fortune 500 companies. We have the global, global central banks are moving to blockchain type of assets. And this is a real thing. And you have to familiarize yourself because this is, will provide generational wealth that could last a century for families. I know it's not, no, it sounds like I'm over-exaggerating, but I don't think I am. I mean, when my kids were telling me to buy Apple stock in the early 2000s, I was a Dell computer guy. And when my son told me to buy some of these gaming stocks and NVIDIA stocks because of, of gaming GPUs, I didn't believe my 17-year-old son, but the best trade he's ever made was NVIDIA shares. So sometimes... The OG degenerate in the room has got a good idea. And that's where you and I come in. We've seen the currency market. We've seen devaluations around the world. We've seen the crazy stuff going on with the Federal Reserve. And this is a way of protecting assets and potentially building generational wealth in the beginning of, an, of, of a new cycle, so to speak. So, And we've seen a ton. And, and Bill, we've seen a ton of cycles as well. Uh, we've talked about this in the past. And the one takeaway I have is, you know, you have these bubbles and then they they burst and then the crypto or Bitcoin lays flat a couple of years and then it has another run. And each time I notice that those runs yield a much higher end price for Bitcoin on the comeback and there's way more adoption. 
Well, Andy, every time we have a lull and then we swoop up into an exponential rally, we see about a 700% rally in Bitcoin. But what happened this time? I don't know. But if it does, it wouldn't surprise me. And again, Bill, back me on this. Our forecast still in place. I know it sounds crazy, Andy. Really, believe me, I, I know what it sounds like. But we saw last year was a year of extremes. And what was happening in the world today is our extreme activity, both on the monetary side and the political and cultural side. It makes total sense to me that if AI and everything we're talking about comes to fruition, you're not going to send gold coins through the Internet to, to autonomous machines and self-driving cars and robots. It has to be done with cryptocurrency. There's just no other way around it. They're not, you can't send U.S. dollars to robots. They're not going to take it. It's got to be crypto. That's just the way it is. This conversation will be continued. Thanks to Bill Uliveri, owner of Seneca Capital Management in Glenview. Again, check out the website, SenecaCapital.com, C-E-N-A-C-L-E, Capital.com. All right, let's shift over to the Dow Theory. That means we're bringing on Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter in Hammond. You got to check out his website, UpsideStocks.com. Chuck, always great to have you on the Gaines podcast. Thanks for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. Let's have a quick convo of the time-tested Dow Theory. You are an expert. Uh, It's been a great tool that we've been using on the Gaines podcast throughout these crazy markets over the past couple of years. Give us a Dow Theory update. Give those who aren't overly familiar a quick primer. Sure. There is, as your, you and your listeners know, the Dow Theory looks at the movement of the Dow Jones Industrial Average and Dow Jones Transportation Average. And the last major signal under the Dow Theory, and it's been that way for the last several months, has been bearish. The last major signal when both the Dow Jones Industrial and Dow Jones Transportation Averages I believe at the end of September went to new lows. So we've been on a, and that reconfirmed an existing bear market trend. So so we have been bearish. Uh, as you mentioned, there has been, a, you know, a nice, in, in certain areas of the market, a nice pickup this year, but that certainly has not changed the, the Dow theory at this point. The points that really are key from a Dow theory perspective, in order for the Dow theory to turn bullish, you need a close in the Dow Jones Industrial Average above 34,589.77. That's the the late November high. That number again is 34,589.77. And you need a close to a new intermediate high in the Dow Jones transportation average. And that level is the February 2nd level of 15,640.70. That's how you get a change in the trend from bearish to bullish. You you have both of the indices close above those levels. Now, there's also points on the downside that are established, and those would be kind of points that they're, they're the ugly points that if the market would break down below those, then you would probably continue to have more pain in the market. And in the case of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, that low uh, is is the the September low of 28 thousand seven two five point five one and in the Dow transports that low is eleven thousand nine 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 point four zero and and I will point out you know the, the a big risk to the market right now it seems that everybody's saying is this notion of recession will it or won't it and how severe uh, if if you want a, a great barometer in terms of telling you whether we're going into a, a, a deep recession 
it is those Dow Jones transportation average. So if you see that September low taken out in the Dow transports, and again, that level is 11,999.40, we're going to have a recession that's probably going to be a nasty one. So you do not want to see the transports go below those levels. It's quite possible, Andy, that we may meander between those trading range, those points, shoot for the remainder of this year. And again, for the gains listener, write these levels down. I will repeat the Dow Theory levels that we uh, Chuck just mentioned and that we're watching. Again, the Dow Industrials, high. That level is 34,589.77. That was put on November 30th, 2022. And then in the Dow Industrials, the low for the Dow Industrials, that's 28,725.51. That was put in back on September 30th of last year. So those are the Dow Industrial high and low levels. And then the transports, very important. Dow transports, the high, 15,640.70. That was put in on February 2nd of this year. And then the Dow transports low, uh, go back to September of last year. That's 11,999.40, the low for the transports. And again, the Dow Theory has been an invaluable tool and gives you a different perspective as well. Yeah, and again, I think the the, the best thing that you can get from any tool is to give you a, use that word perspective, and I think that's that's key, is to give you kind of a picture of what's going on in the market, and then you can make some decisions on what you want to do. Uh, you know, the Dow Theory, as you mentioned, has been on a bearish trend now for several months, and, and it's been pretty good in a sense that, you know, it, it's we're you know in the year three now of an S and P 500 that's gone absolutely nowhere in the last two years. So, you know, it, it it you haven't missed the market if you've been following the Dow theory in terms of you know sustained upward move in the market, and you know it, until you see those points taken out, it's it's quite possible that we could kind of meander between that trading range and. Uh, you know, for investors that like to trade, uh, you know, they they may want to continue kind of buying at the low end of that trading range and selling at the high end of that trading range and then seeing whether it breaks out one way or the other. But there are various strategies you can use um, incorporating given what the Dow Theory is telling you about this market. But ultimately, again, um, you know, that this has been a, a market that's it's it's had a lot of difficulty in sustaining upward moves and, and truly breaking out of this range. And until it does, the the onus is on, on the, the bulls at this point, because again, the primary trend is bearish. And the Dow theory early on, a couple of years ago, that actually got us out of the market. A lot of the gains listeners, I'm sure, who listened to the podcast back then, we started talking about pulling chips and, and building that dry powder. And it's it's been a great move because that dry powder is still on the sideline and and the markets are much lower than they were then for especially for a lot of things especially in the high tech names and that kind of thing. So once we get the all clear sign, we can redeploy it. It never takes you out at the very top, never gets you in right at the very bottom. But having that framework is key. Now, one thing as we wrap up here, uh, Chuck. We've gone through earnings season, and my one takeaway, which makes me kind of bearish on the market right now, is you're seeing sales growth in, like, Procter & Gamble, McDonald's, sales growth 
just because of higher prices in stuff that re- people really need. And, uh, you know, it kind of gooses their their sales, but that's kind of telling me there's an underlying thing uh, where maybe other categories aren't going to see that. Maybe some of those core expenses are taking more and more of the paycheck, and that's going to hurt other areas of the economy. I, and, and that's why I'm I'm still kind of a little bearish because we're seeing like growth in areas that we really shouldn't, and it's based on just higher prices. I wanted to get your thoughts as, as we're wrapping up earnings season. Well, you make a good point. I mean, there have been higher higher sales, and, and they've been driven to a large extent by price increases. And, you know, that that's a game that you can't play forever. And that's really, you know, kind of what Wall Street is watching. Now, you know, you've had some of those companies. You know, PepsiCo is a good example where they've been raising prices. Um, but they've also had some, some volume growth, too. So, you know, it, it's it, it from company to company, it, it, you really need to kind of deal – you know, drill down. Why are revenues going up? Is it just merely because of price increases and their volume gains are non-existent? Are they actually growing volumes and as well as prices? And are those prices being able to stick? And you'll be able to tell that by looking at profit margins, which have been kind of pinched here for a number of companies in a number of sectors. So, yeah, you know, this earnings season has been has been okay. In some in some areas, it's been better than okay, um, but. You know, I think that the, there is still concern out there that, you know, the economy is slowing at a time when the Fed still seems to be, you know, bent on raising rates. And, you know, are they are, are they going to be able to thread that needle or are they going to tank the economy? And, and you know, we're going to have a pretty good idea, you know, three to six months from now. And again, uh, one barometer that's going to give us a great foreshadowing on on whether or not we head into a recession are those Dow transports. So if you're watching one index out there right now, I think the Dow transports are the one to watch. Big thanks to Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter out of Hammond. Check out his website, UpsideStocks.com. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today from the Fed to Bitcoin to the Dow Theory. And it feels like we're all caught up with a lot of the big trend topics that we often discuss. So, hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops, we drop Gains episodes on Wednesday mornings. And I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus ATT and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.